name is Caroline Garnham from boutique law firm Garnham Family Office Services. We protect and preserve the wealth of the world's rich and famous. But having a good lawyer is only part of the solution. My podcast, How to Keep Your Money, draws on my 30 years experience and my extensive network of professional advisors to better inform you. Subscribe to our podcast and learn from the professionals on how to keep your money. This is episode three, Making an Impact. I'm joined in the studio by Lea Zveglich, who is making an impact with her club of wealthy family entrepreneurs from across the globe, who meet to learn from each other and to make an impact. Lea, you originated from South Korea and you studied musicology at Seoul National University. Even from that young age, you were organizing conferences and traveling around the globe. How did you get from music to being an executive coach? Well, that was a long journey of a lot of kind of accidents happening in life that's spinning my life into different direction. So executive coaching is something that I didn't even know it existed. And I had my first experience when I was running business in the U.S. And I was nominated for Small Business Award in the U.S. because I was immigrant. So I am originally from Korea and then I migrated into the U.S. And then I'm ethnically minority because I'm Asian. And then I'm woman. Uh, so when I started the business and my business became successful, they really wanted to showcase that, you know, you can be an immigrant, you could be minority ethnically, you could be woman, uh, but still you can have successful business in the U.S. So they supported me with executive coaching. And that was an eye opener. It's like, wow. Initially, I thought, why do I have to go talk to this person for an hour? What am I going to talk about? I don't have anything to talk about. But then once I was in the session, it was really eye opening to talk to somebody to bounce off the ideas. Because when you're an entrepreneur, um, I had a habit of talking to myself all the time because I, mean, I don't have any colleagues to talk to. And then I realized that when I bounce off ideas, with my employees, they get confused because I was bouncing off the ideas, but they thought it was already a command. They go execute it. And then later when I tell them, no, 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 that wasn't my intention. They get very confused. And they thought that, oh, Leia is, she keeps changing her mind. So I developed the habit of talking to myself in my head and having a coach that I can bounce off the ideas, who is objective, who point me to different directions and then who intentionally will challenge my thoughts, that was really helpful. So later, when I had an opportunity, I learned how to be a coach. And then I went even further. I so believed in coaching. And at that time, this was about 20 years ago, the coaching methodology wasn't really well developed. So I developed my own coaching methodology. And then so currently I have a training program that I train and certify executive coaches. That is awesome. You then went on to set up Aster Club in October 2015, based in Westport, Connecticut. And you have six meetings a year in Africa, Latin America, Asia, Middle East, Europe, and US. Tell me who can be a member and what inspired you to set up this club? 
so uh, I've been doing management consulting since 2000. So that was another kind of accidental life uh, transformation that I went through. I became a mother and I realized that, you know, babies don't follow the schedule. And my boy wasn't an average boy. He didn't do anything the baby book says babies are supposed to do. <laughs> so I really had a lot of challenges. I realized that running a business and trying to raise a baby was very challenging. So I decided to uh, set up a consulting company, which will give me more flexibility with time so that I can raise my son, but at the same time, I can use my brain. And so I work with a number of family businesses and more I get to work with them because usually in the consulting world, uh, family businesses are not really primary customers. It's usually the multinational companies. They are the primary customers. They have resources and they're really into uh, using consultant. And then second comes international organizations. So family businesses don't get much of attention. And just by coincidence, I work with a few of the family businesses and I find that it's fascinating. And uh, I started actively looking into the data and you know every economy, a uh, backbone of the economy is family business. Yes. And then, uh, if especially when you go to Africa, Asia, Latin America, even a lot of publicly traded companies, I mean, they are traded publicly in stock market, but they are still family-owned businesses because the founding families still own the majority of the shares. Uh, founding members are still in charge, and then they have an intention of continuing to have their ownership within the family. And uh, last time when there was financial crisis, 2000. Uh, eight. Uh, actually, it has been proven that family businesses are less leveraged compared to multinational companies. So during that the crisis, almost in every country around the world, what saved the economy was family-owned businesses. And it was the multinational companies who actually put burden on the economy because they were overly leveraged. And then also their tendency is whenever economy goes down, they immediately lay off huge number of people, which family offices, uh, family businesses don't do. Very interesting. So I decided, you know, this is an area that I should pay more attention. If they play such critical role, and they should be getting more attention. And but as I said, most of the family businesses don't get much of the attention from the consultants and advisors. So their management system is not as efficient as the multinational companies. And also because it's very uh, owner driven, they don't have good systems and processes. So that's how I got started. So I was working with them. And as I work with more and more, uh, I realized they are very isolated. It's kind of strange isolation. In a way, they are so well connected in their industry, in their own country. But at the same time, because they are so successful, they are surrounded by people who need them, who, su uh, who support them. Uh, but they don't have any network of peer group and they don't have any network of people who can challenge them. Everybody is yes men. So I thought it would be interesting. So initially, when I first got the idea, I went to my clients and I asked them, 
this is an idea I have because I'm thinking of forming a kind of small community of family-owned businesses so that they have a peer support group. And I'd like to focus more on learning because there's a lot to learn because once there's awareness, then there comes demand. So that was my logic. So I explained to them and they said, oh, it's a good idea. So the first meeting was actually a meeting of my (laughs) ex-client. And then we got together and then I told them, well, this is my idea, but it's for you. So I want you to participate in the strategy. So would you tell me what you want, what you don't want? And then based on it, the club was born. Mm, Fascinating. Thank you, Leah. You're keen to build on all types of capital amongst your members mm-hmm. and you identify social, human and financial. How does this work? And give me some examples. So when we are talking about wealth, there's a different kind of wealth. So people mostly associate wealth with money, the financial capital. But what they often forget is every family business at the beginning what studied them is not financial capital. Mm. It was the human capital, intellectual capital. There was a one family member who was smarter than other people, who knew how to identify the opportunities and who knew how to make it into business. And then that usually person had the persistence and you know, the, the street smartness to make it work. So from the human capital, they acquire the financial capital. But after they have a certain level of financial capital, their mindset changes. So they get more focused on financial capital. And then they also get used to a lifestyle that whatever problem they have, money solves. Mm -hmm. So uh, my kids are having difficulty at school. Okay, let's make some donation and uh, get free entry. Uh, I'm having difficulty uh, parking the car. Well, let's give that guy 500 pounds and he will figure it out. So that mindset changes. So more wealth that they have, they pay less attention to human capital and the intellectual capital. So very often you end up with a family who have a lot of wealth and you look at the family members and you realize that, well, they hardly have any human capital to support the wealth. So I emphasize families to have this spiral of the capital, they are interlinked. So I told you, every family started with a human capital, which had to grow financial capital. Once your financial capital gets bigger, you need actually bigger human capital to support that. Then you will have larger financial capital so it goes kind of you know in circles positive feedback yes yes mm-hmm. so that's what we like to create so at the Esther club uh, because these are business families they like to talk about business they like to talk about deals however we put in a way we overemphasize the importance of human capital because currently in the market there's an overemphasis on the financial capital mm-hmm. so we are trying to kind of balance it and create awareness it's not easy it's challenging because again um, in the market everyone is talking about only the investment and how can i save on taxes how can i make more money uh, trying to create awareness it it is challenging however 
everything starts small. So I started with a small group of people who uh, see the vision in what I'm doing. And then more and more, slowly, the community is growing. And I do hope we can spread this word further and let everyone know that the biggest capital you have in the family is the human capital. Because human capital, no matter what happens, even when market crashes, you can survive. Because Start again. Yes, it's with you. You have your six meetings a year, but you also have special programs, such as your Young Leaders Program and an Active Owners Program. How do these programs work? How many people attend? And maybe you can give some examples of the benefits that the attendees Okay. So Emerging Leaders program that we do during the summer, it's a one-week program, and it's actually one of my favorite programs. So when we say Emerging Leaders, people think that it's for, like, some people think that, oh, is it for high school student, college student? Actually, it's not. When we say Emerging Leaders, we are talking about in the family business, anyone who is above 18 who is not yet fully in charge. Okay? So the age range, sometimes it goes to 60s because... Sometimes these days there are families, uh, father is in 80s and haven't yet actually given the authority to son who is in 60s. So we are trying to create a learning forum and support group of these emerging leaders so that during one week, we uh, firstly do a lot of self-discovery because if you are to be a leader, firstly, you have to know yourself and you need to learn how to manage yourself before trying to manage other people. And then also we share a lot of their similar concerns that they have. And then we will um, have uh, projects that we do together. So uh, last year there were uh, the social projects that uh, three of the young uh, participants wanted to do. So they were very concerned about environment and especially issues with the plastic. So they brainstormed and then at the end they decided to set up a company to start a app that they can distribute to college mm -hmm. students. So uh, whatever the project, whether that's actual business or personal journey that they like to work on, then they will bring it to the, the, the workshop and then we'll work on it together. And then at the end of the workshop, then uh, there's a presentation and then we all give feedback and then we continue to follow up and communicate after the workshop is done. So that community is slowly growing and it's very exciting. So this um, next year, we are going to do it first week of July in Japan. So it's three weeks before Olympic Games. And Japan has such long tradition of family businesses. So we will bring together those Japanese old family businesses and then our uh, participants coming from other countries and we'll have a very interesting program. It will be interesting. Yes. You encourage your members to invest in each other's businesses, mm -hmm. uh, learn from each other and share experiences, which you've already discussed on, on uh, so you know how to manage family businesses and overcome difficulties. Maybe you can give some examples for how this works, but of course, not giving away any secrets. Okay, so uh, each, each family, they build their business in a country, in an industry. So they know in and out what happens in that country, in that industry. So the challenge is they know they have to diversify. Conceptually, they know, but when they try to execute it, very often they fail because 
they don't know much about other country or other industries. Uh, so then they try here and there and they conclude that, no, this is not working. I think we should just stick to what we know. Okay. So then they become more and more concentrated in one industry. So the best they usually manage is they stay in the same industry, but expand into multiple countries. But that's still highly risky, especially in today's environment where economy is becoming more and more unpredictable. Uh, industries are all interlinked. And, and now, no matter how good the industry is, you never know. It could collapse tomorrow. So... Uh, what we encourage members to do is, well, you are an expert in uh, technology. You are an expert in real estate. Why don't you two talk and exchange some opportunities? So when it comes to real estate, he's the best guy, so he can help you. Or maybe you can even uh, do joint venture in his project because you know that he's the, the guy who built his wealth in that industry. And you don't know anything about IT, but he's the genius in IT. So why don't you do that? So we have uh, uh, more and more cases of members kind of that kind of cross investing, and that's actually a good way. And also we encourage besides this investment part that I told you, we really encourage developing human capital. Mm -hmm. So what we also encourage members to do is cross mentor because. Within the families, no matter how great my father or mother is, I do have that parent dynamic. Yeah. There is always too high expectation and mismatched expectations. So there's always that kind of tension. However, when it's someone else's father or someone else's son, that tension is gone. But the dynamic is exactly the same. So these people fully understand. So when we are matching the younger generation from one family with the senior member of another family and create a mentoring relationship, it works beautifully. That's fascinating. Thank you. Let's move now on to Asta Impact, which you set up in April 2018, which is a Delaware not-for-profit organization where you encourage your members to solve social problems with social enterprise. Tell us what do you mean by impact investing? Okay, so for the impact investment, uh, currently in America, impact investment is a really big thing. Everyone is talking about it. and But you will notice that if you talk to 10 people about impact investment, they have 10 different definitions. Uh, so then it gets very challenging because everyone is saying impact investing, but we are not actually talking about the same thing. So for us, when we say impact investing, uh, we are structuring a company. But even though we are legally company who uh, is allowed to have investors, who is allowed to charge for services, who is allowed to have profits, that our main objective of existence is to create the social impact. Okay, so in a way, we are like a hybrid of nonprofit where they are mission driven, and then the corporation where you have the efficiency of the operation. And then we try to take care of stakeholders in a much broader way. So corporations exist to give maximum return on investment to stakeholders who are shareholders. But for us, 
firstly, when we give the return on investment, we give blended return on investment. So investors will get financial return plus impact return. We will actually calculate it and show it to them so that they can see how each dollar that they gave the uh, contributed to the impact. And then the people who are working for the company, we don't believe that this owner and employee relationship is healthy and it's not really a collaborative relationship. So we structured the company almost like a co-op. So everyone who is working for the company, they have opportunity to uh, earn the ownership based on their contribution. And this is a lot more aggressive and liberal than the traditional employee stock option because employee stock option is a very small portion of the company that's distributed to all the employees. The logic is, if you're an investor, this is a much better mechanism because you can be a 100% owner of a company that's worth 10 million, or you could be 40% owner of company that's worth 100 million. Which one is better? Why not create a win-win situation? And another factor that we look at is we make sure that our business creates um, harmonious market mechanism uh, in the community we are operating because sometimes you might have the best product, best services, best intention, but when you don't look at the whole ecosystem in the market, your presence actually kills other businesses. So actually, I don't want to mention the name, but like some of the big retailers, the moment they open a shop, that every other small business go out the business. So we don't create that kind of situation. And uh, the last part that we do is we believe that our role is more of a catalyst uh, rather than the one who is actually uh, executing and doing it. So we try to find ways that our business actually creates more market demand. So for example, if you are a restaurant and you are the only restaurant in the corner, then you think that because you are the only one you corner the market, you will have a lot of business, but in reality, you don't. But if you create an area with lots of restaurants, everybody gets more business. So we see our social enterprises role as such that we create by inviting all these restaurants to come in and then you know finding a way that everybody can get more business. And then once the job is done, then we go have another social enterprise. Fascinating, thank you. You have a number of projects in incubation and operation. Tell me about them and the successes you've had. Okay, so the, currently the project that I am really committed is Esther International. So what we do is globally, there are about 20 million people who are working under forced labor condition. So what I mean by forced labor condition is, it's not my definition, it's definition by International Labor Organization, that you are working, but you are not really getting fair wages. So there are more people in the world who are desperately in need of a job than the decent jobs available, and especially from developing countries. So 
the market mechanism which is supposed to work well when there's supply demand, it's not working well because there's more supply than the demand. So typically what happens is if you are a worker in Bangladesh who wants to find a job elsewhere because you cannot find a job in Bangladesh, you approach recruitment companies and they will charge you, for example, currently the market price for finding a job in Europe is 5,000 euros. Of course, he's currently getting paid $50 a month. He doesn't have 5,000 euros to pay. So the recruitment agency said, no worry, because soon you will be getting a good job abroad. You'll be able to pay back. I will give you a loan. And they sign a loan agreement without realizing that they are actually paying monthly compound interest rate. And currently going rate for monthly compound interest for this kind of deal is about 20 to 30% a month. So... It takes about six to eight months to all the paperwork and get a job. By the time the person start a job, the person is already in debt about 8,000 euros. And the person start paying back from the day he gets a job. But usually it takes about two years to pay back the loan. During the two years, the family is not seeing any paycheck. Mm -hmm. uh, this is really unfair. Another side is... On the other side, the employers, most of employers, they see foreign workers as kind of expendable part of their business. So they will hire foreign workers usually for dirty, dangerous, demeaning jobs. So those are three days of migrant workers. And then they pay less than the local people, even though two people are doing exactly the same job. Not only that, very often, they have this strange logic that, oh, if you're coming from Bangladesh and currently getting paid $50 in Bangladesh, why should I pay you $800? Why don't I pay you only $200? Because still that's a lot of money for you. So a lot of employers pay people differently based on their nationality. So poorer that you are, you get paid less. That's really unfair. So in Astro International, what we do is we try to solve these two problems from the originating country and also in the destination country. So we, we find workers who need a job and we don't charge them anything and we find them a job. And then we work with the employers, we screen them, we educate them, and we tell them actually, you know, it's a benefit for you to pay them fairly, treat them fairly, because then you have more productive workforce. Not only that, unlike your local people who will move whenever they see better opportunity, these foreign workers will stay with you longer. And if you want to run a successful business, you need stable workforce. So through the education, we match them. So actually... Uh, it's been very long, complicated process of managing the legal document and everything. So next week, our first batch of people will be arriving in Croatia. So we are very excited about it. So I'll be in Croatia next week to greet them and to make sure that they integrate well. So currently, we are getting workers from countries where they have social or economic problems. So Venezuela, as you know, their economy collapsed and everybody is now in Colombia is a refugee. Uh, Honduras, their market also collapsed. Sri Lanka, after the bombing, they are struggling. Nepal has always been the poorest country on earth. And then Philippines have a lot of uh, political economic issues. Uh, Viet Vietnam, there's a lot of people who like to leave the country because even though they have market economy, it's a still communist country with controlled media and all that. So those are the countries where we are getting people. And we are finding a job in Croatia, 
We are expanding into Slovenia. We like to expand into Czech Republic and Hungary. And then we are also talking to Korea and Japan. So that's one project. So you can see as a business at scale, we will have about 25% net profit. But we are solving huge social problems of forced labor and unfair labor practice. And so the impact we are creating, we calculate based on number of jobs and the salary that they're receiving, because that's the salary without us, they wouldn't be getting it. Um, so it's good for, as a business, good for the investor, but the social impact we are creating is tremendous. So I'm very excited about it. So we are working very closely with uh, UN and a lot of other organizations. Um, so anyone who is excited about this initiative, you are welcome to participate as an investor, as a board member, as an advisor, or even the management team. Thank you. Now going back more to your members, you're keen to encourage your more senior entrepreneurs to devote their considerable energy and experience to impact investing, so as to make space for the younger generation coming through, even though, as you said earlier, your younger generation may be 60 years old. Uh, how does this work in practice? So uh, these entrepreneurs, they have very unique personality. So people who were able to start a business from nothing and build this gigantic business empire, they have very strong personality. Um, they have tremendous energy. So these are not people who can relax and go play golf or go on a cruise. And that's not the idea of vacation that they have. So this is often a challenge when they are thinking of making a transition. So yes, I like to hand over the business, but what am I going to do? And then it happened actually in number of my client that they announced that, no, 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 I want to retire. And then they went away for about three months and the three months is the maximum that they can handle. And after that, they said, no, Leia, I, 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 I cannot retire. I need something to do. So they come back, which is disastrous for the next generation. So this uh, social enterprises are really the ideal mechanism for these senior entrepreneurs to consider because it is a business and it is in a way more challenging business than the traditional business because in the traditional business, all you have to think about is profit. Now you have to balance, you have to make sure that you make profit as a business, but at the same time, you you want you have to make sure that you also create social impact so it requires higher level of management skills it's been fascinating talking to you Leo. thank you very much indeed i wish you success as you enhance the social human and financial capital of your asset club members thank you very much indeed thank you for having me